and I always wondered who wore these things. <laughs> so this is Mike's, and it's in honor of him, because um, I'll probably get flack because I'm not respecting him by wearing a tie, but I'm wearing tie-dye. So are all of you. Um, so this is going to be a time where we enjoy the man who, I mean, you are a testimony to how he's touched so many lives. Uh, just with, lots of people will say things, but it's, it's a wonderful tribute. And I thought we would, you know, 25 years ago, I've lost track, it's the early 90s, um, you know, Mike was responding to music, and uh, we went off uh, as part of the church to a men's retreat, and he was very touched and very, very, uh, let's leave those doors open, please. Oh, sorry, I just think of air. Um, and, and he was very touched and encountered the love of God in Jesus very powerfully. Um, and, and Mike is passionate. So he came into my office after that and said, I've written this song. And it wasn't that great, but it was very... It, it, it was, <laughs> it was very, I can't remember which one it was, but uh, um, it was, we're going to play one now. Just I thought it would be nice to start one, it's called, which he liked. It's called Get on the Bus. So this is, uh, this is uh, Mike Pearson, Get on the Bus, um, preaching about Jesus. And he's playing everything. They recorded this on an 8-track. Imagine a trip down life's long road Without a car or a map Think that you could make it all by yourself It's a quarantine sand trap Get on the bus Ride with Jesus Cause he'll drive you to a turn You do actions if you want There's no bus there Just believe him And he'll take you where you want to go. Not sure whether Timber wants to come up after that. Let's pray together. There's a word that Jesus uh, said. He said, um, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Whoever has faith in me shall have life even though he die. And everyone who has life and is committed to me in faith shall not die forever. 
God, our Father, we thank you for the honor of being able to come together to remember a dear friend. We pray that you will comfort those who grieve today. But we also thank you that you are a God who goes before us and that you have actually announced, declared, and made it true that death is not the end of life. So, Father, we pray that you will just comfort and speak to each one of us today as we remember Mike, as we enjoy those memories, and as we also shed tears, that he would be honored by the way we uh, give you thanks for him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our songs are joyful songs, and we're going to start with one, uh, Bless the Name of the Lord. And then we're going to have, what we're going to do today is we're going to have uh, the first part of the service is really going to be uh, reflections, slideshow, um, some family memories, and, and then we'll just put that in a context of maybe a, a very short reflection on, on the God that we're trusting and, and that Mike trusts as we go from here. So will you stand and we're going to uh, sing this song together. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, the seeds of abundance go. Blessed be your name, found in the desert place, the walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name. Blessed be your name, when sun shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name, when the road marked with suffering, when there's pain in the offering. Blessed be your name. Blessing you for out now, turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. You give and take, you give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to stay. 
introduce him, so I haven't got a clue who this bald-headed man is. Oh, hi, everybody. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm uh, Mike's brother, Neil. And for those who do know me, I'm Neil, Mike's brother. Um, I just, I'm really proud to be, um, to call myself Mike's brother. Um, we just want to welcome everyone today to the celebration of the beautiful life of him. I mean, he's a fantastic guy, an adoring husband, caring son, a devoted father, uh, the best brother, favorite uncle, and a wonderful friend to everyone here. So on behalf of the family, just to thank everybody for being here today. It's an amazing turnout. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure anybody could come up and do Mike's eulogy. Everybody's got great stories about the guy and be just as good or probably better than me. But I'm up here. Louise, Diana, Brianna, Larissa, and Pete um, wanted to thank everyone for the love and kindness that was shown to the family uh, during Mike's journey. They appreciate everything from the meals, cards, visits, the kind words, and the support. I'm going to talk a little bit about, um, I'm not going to go point by point about Mike's life, but just a little bit about his, his sort of background and childhood. And Mike was a fantastic son to my mom and dad, Mabel and Cliff. And um, so I asked my mom, you know, what kind of son Mike was as a little boy. So she summarized it by, you know, it's just the way I thought she would saying he was very caring, always looking out for Heather and I, and he spent a lot of time quietly and contently, um, you know, building and drawing. So then he said, well, Mom, what was he like as a teenager? And uh, he says, well, he was respectful and caring and, and uh, you know, a great teenager, never causes any problems. So I'm trying to think, there's got to be something. I mean, I, I, from what I saw, he was perfect, but I was trying to find something that Mike did that, would, uh, that I could share with you today. She said, well, there's that one story I have when uh, Mike backed into our brand new Le Mans. So I'm going to just share that with you from Mike's perspective because I was there. So it's a Saturday night, and uh, we, we had a band, and I'll talk about that a little bit later, and uh, probably 40, 45 minutes from now. And um, um, so we had a band. We had a dance. We it was in Nanaimo. At, it started at 8 o'clock. Well, we lived out in Cedar, so we're probably a 25-minute drive from there. Mike's at work, and um, he doesn't get off work till 7, so he's... And so he says, Neil, I'm going to be home at 7.30 to pick you up. All our equipment's all set up. You just have to be ready at 7.30. I said, Mike, no problem. I'm responsible. I'll be ready at 7.30. So Saturday night, hockey night in Canada, I flick on the game at, you know, 5 o'clock. And, and I'm watching the game. We get about the middle of the third period. And that's about the only way I can tell time. I figure if it's the middle of the third period, it's probably got to be about 7.15. So I check the clock in the, uh, in the kitchen, and it's 7.20. So, man, I better get ready. So I go into the bathroom to have a shower or a bath, and I'm fairly exhausted from watching the game. So I figure I better have a bath, just unwind a little bit. So next thing I know, it's, I hear this pounding on the door, and it's Mike screaming at me. Well, apparently I'd fallen asleep in the bathtub, and it's 7.35. So I jump out of the tub, and uh, 
grabs, put on some clothes, grab some clothes, go running down the stairs. Well, what had happened was my, Mike had come down the driveway and pulled into the carport in the truck, and then my mom and dad came in about 10 minutes later and parked up on the hill behind them with their brand-new Le Mans that they'd got the week before. So, so I go out there, and Mike's screaming and honking the horn, and I so go out there, no shoes on, everything, pile into the truck, and... Uh, so Mike puts it in reverse, backs up, up around the corner, and slams into the brand-new Le Mans, takes out the front end of the car. So I'm thinking, this is horrible. But it's good, too, because for two reasons. Number one, Mike never does anything wrong, so now he's going to be in trouble for creaming their car. And the second thing is, the pressure's off me now for being late for the dance. Now they're going to blame. So, so Mike's screaming at me. Mom and Dad come down this, out from outside, or come from the house, come down. And um, so Mike, uh, so I mean, this, is, this is perfect. I'm putting the rest of my clothes on. Mom and Dad come out. Well, they're yelling at me. And I'm like, no, Mike's driving. Like, Mike's over there. I'm over here in the passenger seat. And so I said, I said Mom, like, if, you know, I'm doing up my socks while he's backing up. How could I be at fault? Like, and she said, well, if you hadn't been fell asleep in the bathtub, it wouldn't have been your fault. We, he wouldn't have been so uptight. He would have saw the car. So... Mike still has a perfect record. He was a perfect kid. Uh, he never did anything wrong. Um, so as a brother, it doesn't really get any better. Um, he was always looking out for Heather and I. We always knew how much he loved us. Um, he always treated us great. At 21, Mike met the great love of his life, Louise. And we all dream of uh, having a great love like that. Mike and Louise lived that dream. Right from the start, Mike knew that Louise was the one for him. Um, they were the epitome of a loving couple. Uh, they never were afraid to express their love in public. Um, we all saw this love and sometimes too much of it. There's this one time when uh, Louise, I, they lived on the north end of Nanaimo, and Louise was heading south and heading downtown to go to work, and Mike was heading out to Cedar, and they were in two different vehicles. So lucky for them, when they pulled up to the stop, they just happened to be right next to each other. So Louise is in this car in the left turn lane. Mike's in this lane. And they're beside each other. And now, of course, you know, they give one of these and back through the window. And they're sitting there. And then it's, they're blowing a kisses back and forth and mouthing I love you and all this stuff. Well, Mike, you can just imagine the state they're in. You know, like in the movie when you have that sort of the out-of-body thing where they're kind of floating, the harp music's playing, and little, little bubbles are popping and stuff. And you really don't, you're not really in the real world, right? And that's what those two, that's the moment, that's what they were like at that time. But in all those moments, there's always sort of something that brings you back to reality, you know, like the record, record scratching and zzz, and you're, you're back in the real world. So Louise's left turn signal goes, and the arrow goes. So she starts driving, and they're blowing kisses and, you know, smiling at each other. And so Mike, he just takes his foot off the gas and just starts pulling forward. Well, his reality was the, he rear-ended the guy in front of him <laughs> as, as Louise drove off to work. No, you know, no relationship's perfect. I would say theirs was pretty close. You know, communication's always a big, big thing. Mike was a huge Beatles fan, right? So everybody here knows that. I would say probably there's 500 people here, probably 499 of them probably know that Mike was a huge Beatles fan. Somehow Louise didn't pick up on that. They were having a garage sale one day, and um, so she's going through all Mike's stuff, right? And she pulls out this, this record album, and she's... She's thinking, I'm, I'm just going to throw this. She's, you know, throw stuff in the garbage, put stuff out to sell. So she's looking at this album. It's got nothing on it. It's totally blank, right? And she's like, I should put this out on the table, but nobody's going to even know who the band is. It's just a big white album. So, so she decides, 
well, maybe I'll throw it out there. Well, the first guy comes along and says, you know, she's marked like 10 cents on it. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a quarter for it. So, so she sells Mike's Beatles White Album for a quarter and thought it was the happiest girl in the world. And that's the only thing I think that Mike didn't ever forgive her for. Um, Mike and Louise, they've got three beautiful girls, uh, Larissa, Brianna, and Diana. It's hard to summarize what a great dad he was. And he, I mean, Mike was the best. We, we spent a lot of time with him. He, he loved his girls. Um, he was the guy, he was a dad at every dance recital, every soccer practice. Sometimes he was the only dad at the dance recital. Um, he'd come straight from work in a Safeway uniform. He'd share his, uni- share his love of music with the girls. Um, he'd always went on their band trips, took them to concerts, played guitar, taught them how to play guitar, sang with them. And he always, he t- simple stuff, like taught them how to all fold laundry. Um, Mike embraced everything about the girls' life, including becoming friends with all of their friends and becoming friends with all their boyfriends. Now, it started out pretty good because the girls were never afraid to take their boyfriends home to meet Mike because he was such a great guy. And they asked me to share this with you a little bit because usually the guys are afraid to come and meet the girls' dad, especially parents, but dads always. So they would come in, and everybody knows what Mike is like. I mean, he's the warmest guy. Pretty soon, like he's going through his, you know, CD collection, his Converse All-Star collection, He's, there, he's showing them their guitars, the amplifiers and stuff. So they're loving Mike and ignoring the girls. So pretty soon they're like, they want to go, you know, the guys are going like, we should go, you know, the girls are going, we should go out for dinner or something. And they're always like, well, why don't we just go hang out at your place? That'd be, that'd be awesome. So me being the positive guy that I am, I try to take the positive out of that because I think probably a lot of their relationships lasted a lot longer than they would have <laughs> because none of their guys wanted to break up with Mike. Okay, as much as Mike loved uh, Port Alberni and his life here. Um, he always thought of Hornby Island as this kind of special place. And um, Mike and Louise had their first date on Hornby. Um, Hornby was mar- where uh, Mike first told Louise that he loved her. And Mike and the girls spent most of their family vacations there um, at our family cabin. Um, the love that Mike and Louise had for Hornby was always shared with the girls' lives, and it created a ton of great memories. Um, I've got, we had up at Hornby, we had these books, uh, these kind of these guest books. And Mike was always, Mike and the girls and Louise, they always wrote in them. But Mike liked to write in them. So he always would write something about the week that they had there. So I'm going to share just, I mean, it's not profound, but it just kind of tells you, what, you know, a little bit about Mike in his own words. And this is from June 27th to July 5th, 2003. Uh, just love this island and cabin more and more every time. It's such a treat to have a piece of paradise to go and share with family and friends. No matter what the weather, you can always make the best of things. Louise and I and the kids rode to the Cardboard House Bakery a few times along the roadside trail. A great trail to ride, safer than the road, and lots of fun, too. Check out the new coffee carafe. I broke the old one. What a klutz. Thanks, Mom and Dad, for a great family getaway. This place is a piece of paradise. Great seeing you. Love you all. Uh, Mike, Louise, and the girls. So... That's just in Mike's words. That's kind of what Mike was like every day. Now, um, he also shared his love with Hornby with his friends, um, the highlight being the Blues Festival every year. And he went there every spring and never missed it. Um, I was never there with him. But, he, again, he wrote in the, in the book here, the other, another, a different one from a different time, about his, uh, his blues, blues weekend. Uh, May 4th to 8th, 2009. The Blues is the best. Chris, Doug, and I and a few hundred of our closest friends had once again a fabulous time at the Blues Workshop. Now, you people probably didn't know he had 200, 200 other close friends, but he, he did up at Hornby. Weather was spotty at best, but who cares? We had a blast. Thanks, Mom and Dad, for the best place on earth. 
Nice to see old friends at the event from last year. We'll be back again next year. Love you all, Mike. So that's, that's what Mike, Mike loved Hornby Island. And the big, I think there was a great gift that the family had this year is that the last Blues Fest Mike attended, um, all the girls and Louise got to go up and spend the week with him and spend that, that week at the Blues Fest. So that was a, I think it was a fabulous memory for them. And even though I wasn't there, it's a great memory for me too. So, um, Mike's love of Hornby is inscribed on our outhouse wall. And we've got an outhouse up there. And every week we go up, we always write a little thing. And Mike's were always the most creative and the best. And this is a limerick by Mike Pearson. If you're ever inside our outhouse, you can, you can see it. It's still there. There once was a road, twisty turny, that wound all the way from Alberni. And the Pearsons from there came to Hornby with flair, but hated the going home journey. Um, before the Blues Fest, Mike's love of music began um, when Mike, myself, three great friends, Grant, Brian, and Ted, formed our very first and only collaborative rock and roll band called Nulla Secundus. And I say rock and roll band, but in fact, we were kind of a variety dance band. Because uh, that's where the money was. We were originally called Teddy and the Bears. But after four or five years playing like post office Christmas parties and weddings, Chinese New Year's, just like the Beatles, all musical geniuses eventually go their own way. And Mike went on to bigger and better musical endeavors. Um, he played with Sassy, Reckless, Main Street, and sang with the Timber Choir. He also played many a gig with his friend Doug Thring from uh, down, down Southern Island there. Now, beyond Mike's music and artistic or beyond music, Mike was very artistic. He had uh, a lot of drawings, did some store designs, he had these caricatures that you'll see over in the hall, that he did these really cool pictures of cars and stuff. Um, his windbags, t-shirts, and his driftwood railing that he built on Hornby Island. We had this big sort of, art of above the, the second level, he did, made this fantastic railing out of driftwood that he found on the beach. Um, Mike also had hobbies, and one of the hobbies that he had um, was collecting Hot Wheels. And he must have had about 600 of them Beautifully arranged, right at the bottom of their basement stairs on the wall. You know, like a, you know, like a jewelry display or whatever. He had all these Hot Wheels on these displayed on the wall. Somehow, Louise, she was totally oblivious to the collection. Because she, they lived there 30 years, and I, she, she called the place a dungeon. So I guess she, I don't think she's ever been down in the basement in 30 years. Because a couple of weeks ago, she came up, she went downstairs, she had to get something. And she comes up and she goes, she said, and this is a quote of Louise, who knew Mike had so many Hot Wheels? Now, they were right on the wall, right at the bottom of the stairs. So, but maybe she was onto something, because uh, Mike, who I would say he didn't regret anything in life, and he said to me about three weeks before he passed, and this, another quote, he said, Neil, he said, if there's one thing I regret in my life, it's collecting all those Hot Wheels. He said, I have no idea why I did it. <laughs> um, Mike was a huge part of our family, um, but he had other families. He had his Safeway, Save on Food family. Um, he, he worked with them for years. He had the Finishing Touches family who were always there for him, Blues Fest family, his Port Alberni Bulldogs family, um, Timber Choir family, and his BAM family. Um, I'd just like to thank the Timber Choir who's going to be performing here today, and a lot of Mike's band friends who got together last night um, out by Sprout Lake and put together a little benefit, not a benefit, but a kind of uh, an honorary dedicated night of rock and roll and blues. Uh, for Mike, and, and I, I think Jerry and Andrew and a bunch of his buddies put that together, and we went out there for a few hours and did a bit of dancing and had a good fun. So it was, you know, I mean, it's not a, a nice thing to see Mike go, but it was a nice way to start off the weekend with a bunch of his friends and sharing something that he loved to do. I just want to share with you just uh, a moment that Mike and I had a couple, uh, or I, think, I think it was a couple of weeks before Mike moved out of his home. 
from Port Alberni into the hospice, and uh, and they'd moved their bedroom down to the main floor into the den, and, and of course it's, it was hard to get time with Mike because everybody was wanted to go talk with him. But I walked by his room one day, and and um, he was in there by himself, and he was awake. So I I walked in and I laid down on the bed beside him, and and we were just chatting away, and and um, we always kind of goof around, and be a little goofy, and then sometimes you get a little bit serious. But Mike. He called me Stu. My first name's Stuart, so he always called me Stuart, a little guy. When, and uh, and he says, he, you know, he he leans over and he and he says, you know what, Stu? He says, you're the you're the you're the best brother that there is. And I said, yeah, Mike, I know. And <laughs> and of course, so so Mike Mike he was a little tired, so he fell asleep. And I put my hand on his shoulder and and I fell asleep um, next to him. And, and I we were asleep for about a half hour and. And I woke up before him, and I just sort of propped myself up on one elbow, and I was just, just looking at his face. You know, I was just looking at him, and, and, um, and he woke up, and his one eye opens, and he kind of looks over, and he, says, and he goes, what are you looking at? He says to me, so he kind of saw it start me. And you know, I said, you know what, Mike? He said, I know I was kidding you earlier on about the brother thing. He said, but you know what? I said, you're the best guy. I mean, the best guy in the world. I said, I, you know, I love you so much. I said, you're like one of the greatest guys around. And, and he said, well, what do you mean by that? And I said... Well, Mike, I said, you're, the way people want to ha- be with you and hang around with you, um, there's nobody like that. And, and the thing, Mike didn't even realize that. He said, you really think so? I don't, I don't really think, I, I don't know why you would say that. And I said, Mike, I said, you've got, you, you're lucky you got your mom's soul. Like, my mom is the kindest, most wonderful person. And Mike, uh, my mom probably has, you know, thousands and thousands of friends that and, and Mike is exactly like her. He's got her soul, got her kindness, and her love of people. Mike's life is not so much about Mike, really. Mike's life is about how it affected, the effect that he had on everybody else. It was about creating moments for other people. Taking, you know, an extra 30 seconds in the grocery store for the people that he worked with or for the customers that came in. It was that extra 30 seconds he, say, he took when he saw you on the street. He was one of those special people who just made you feel like you were important and what you said and what you felt really mattered. He always listened to everybody, and you could tell that he actually cared. Most of you have, have had one of Mike's hugs. They're the kind of hugs that you kinda, you're always going to remember. If you've been hugged by Mike, you're going to remember it. What I'm, I'm going to really miss Mike's face. Like his face, when he came into a room, like he, he, would, he would warm you up with his smile right away, like he, this f- a phenomenal smile. And then as you got close to him and you looked into his eyes, you, like you knew you were with somebody special. You knew you were with somebody solid. Um, he was a great, caring person, and I'm proud to say that he is my brother. I just sort of, in closing, I'd like to just say, after you go home and after you today, when you're thinking about Mike, just take an extra 20 seconds to smile or say hi to somebody you don't know. Spend an extra moment with someone to make their day better. And I think this is probably a great way to remember Mike, because I, you know, I really know Mike would like that. So thank you very much. Thanks so much. You could go on for another hour. I know that because that was he. Does Timber want to come up? Would you like to come up? And uh, Timber is going to share two songs with us. Um, while, they, while they're getting ready, we're going to have an open mic for Mike.
thank you very much. Two of my favorite songs. So if somebody would like to come up and uh, remember Mike. His brother could lo talk a lot, but you're not allowed to. <laughs> any, if, I just want to give this opportunity. I know there are many, many things, but if somebody would like to, you're welcome to. If you're Mike's friends, you can't be shy. <laughs> First five up here, basically. See, here he comes. You've got one minute. Otherwise, Cheryl turns you down. Here you go. Andrew, behave yourself. Well, I guess I've got to say that, you know, uh, you don't know why things happen. The great thing about this is this got to meet his beautiful family because of Lynn. That happened. I met Mike about, uh, I don't know, 1980, I guess, or something. He played guitar, and he seemed like a nice guy. And <coughs> I saw him in the store a few times, and he always say hi to me and, and like that I play guitar and whatnot. And I just uh, thought, it's a beautiful man. He's here, though. Yeah. Hi. Um, Mike and I had an opportunity to play some music together. And if you play music, every once in a while you're fortunate to have these incredible lightning bolts that hit you. You don't know where the music's coming from, but it's just, <laughs> it's, and you know, with Mike, I had, I bet you 20 of those, and whether, whether we were playing at Shars Landing, which was one of my favorite nights, to playing in one of the ugliest pubs in Nanaimo, <laughs> <laughs> to sitting at Hornby after a night of blues, about three o'clock in the morning, and he's drinking that cheap red wine. They were magical moments. The guy was magical. The, but the thing that bugged me about Mike, you know, when you play, my kids always said, Dad, lose a face. Right, son? <laughs> and it looks like I'm holding back from some gas, right? <laughs> but Mike had this kind of aura about him. He had this great smile and his great warm look. And uh, I just uh, loved him so much. And I'm going to really miss him. But uh, he'll be with all of us through his music. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hello. Um, hi, everyone. Do you want me to just... Yeah, I'll probably just fall over or something. Can I put the stool back? Yeah. You can do what you like. I feel a little wobbly. There you go. Thank you for being here, everyone. Um, yeah, it's been a pretty crazy little while, that's for sure, but... Um, I don't think we could have made it through without the love and support of everyone. And we're really grateful for that. Um, thanks, Uncle Neil. <laughs> that was the funniest eulogy I've ever <laughs> heard. <laughs> it was amazing. Um, mine's a little bit personal, but um, Dad always taught me to write when I was going through hard times. So just writing it um, made me feel really nice. Um, it was hard, um, but... I'll also probably cry all the way through. There it's only go. a couple pages. Thank you. Okay. Um, while Dad was sick, we kind of had a theme going. Um, Sharon interviewed him, Reflections at Ty Watson, so we just interviewed him about his life, and she just was blown away. She's like, he's just a bundle of love. Like, he is the epitome of love. He's just, he just oozes love. He's just amazing. So we named Dad's reflection CD, Love is Enough, and it was actually quite sad because after we recorded it, uh, he wasn't quite with it then, and I think he thought it was being 
pass out into the world or it was going to be published in the paper and it was really cute because it's like, when are we going to hear the CD? So cute. Anyways, so I just, it's titled Love is Enough, but yeah, um, it's so amazing to think that everyone is here today to show love to the man who unarguably was one of the most caring people to have ever graced this earth. Um, I know, of course, that I am biased, but in this situation, is that so bad? I've spent the last 27 years of my life living with, interacting with, and learning from this incredible man. You would think after 27 years, I perhaps would have seen some flaws or undoubtedly changed my mind, but I can't, and I could never. My dad was the best. He was so full of love that it just radiated out of him, even on his darkest days. He cared so deeply for everyone who he crossed paths with, friends, neighbors, family, strangers. Yeah. <laughs> he just loved and loved and loved, and it was genuine, pure and simple. He wanted people to be happy, to feel like they were cared for, to make sure that they knew that they were important. I have to say now, in retrospect, it was so obvious that Dad dedicated every day of his life to reminding my mom, my sisters, and I how incredibly unique and special we were as individuals. And he was relentless. (laughs) I remember in my younger, angsty teen years, I absolutely hated this. I wanted to be left alone, to paint, to write poetry, to play guitar, to be creative, and to find out who I was. So much of this made me feel so vulnerable because it was my time to express who I was down to my very core. I remember so vividly Dad galloping up the stairs, smile on his face, inquiring about my newest project. Everything I did, he always convinced me to share with him. And everything I shared with him, he celebrated. He always encouraged my freedom of expression, and he always saw the beauty. I don't know why, but this always made me so mad. I felt so frustrated. It made me so mad. I felt so frustrated and confused that he could still love me. After all the broken poems I tried to compose and all the half-hearted paintings I attempted to create, all those confused song lyrics I tried to sing amongst chords that didn't even make any sense, but he ultimately loved, but ultimately he loved them because he loved me. Dad saw what I thought to be my faults as beauty. He was so proud of me, even when I struggled to make it by. I know now that I was confused because it was in these years that he loved me, even when I didn't know how to love myself. His love was unconditional. Now that he's gone, it seems as though I have lost a part of myself. Forever since those dreadful, difficult teenage years, Dad has been in every word I've written, in every note that I've sung, in every breaststroke that I've painted. I know even though that beautiful angel of ours is gone, I know that his love lives on in everything beautiful, or better yet, the world is beautiful because his love lives on. If he could have taught us anything, it would be to love and to show love. Encourage your friends, help someone in need. Offer a smile, a hand, or a hug. Lend a shoulder, and lend an ear. These small things make up the biggest parts of life. And if you ever encountered my dad, you would agree that that much is true. So after this celebration, please celebrate. Celebrate the life of the most amazing man. And please follow in his footsteps by celebrating and cherishing the ones you hold dear. Forgive a foe. Stand up for those who are unable to stand up for themselves. 
call a long lost friend and tell someone what they mean to you. And please know that love always was, always will be, and always is enough. Thank you. Well done. Well done. Tyrone. Tyrone Ronning is going to... I last saw him when he was about 10 years old. He's changed a little bit. Um, and uh, he's going to sing. Do you want to say anything about it? Yeah, go, you go ahead. I suck at words. I always have. Uh, and the only way I could ever do a speech or something like that is just by writing songs and that's all I do is write music and songs and a lot of that is uh, is because of Uncle Mike and uh, he was the the dad's friend that that wasn't really the uncle but I loved him like an uncle and I took a lot of inspiration from our talks and this song is I'm going to tune up here first but the song is is for Uncle Mike. I wrote it about Uncle Mike, and as somebody was saying earlier, sometimes that lightning bolt just hits, and you strike gold musically, and you don't know where it came from, but it was it's just there. And that's what happened with this song. It was the day after Uncle Mike passed, and I spent the whole night <laughs> crying and and being super upset, and I just didn't. Nobody was around, and so the <laughs> when I'm in those times, I grab my guitar, and that's what I do, and that's what I did, and I like to say that Uncle Mike just came right into my soul, and these words came out, and the music came out, and it all fit together, and now I'm going to try to play this song for you without crying too much. Love you, Uncle Mike. This song's called Fighter because Uncle Mike was the fighter. Still remains 
it still stays. And you're the fighter. And you're the hero. And your voice will carry on as long as I hit these strings. Glad the suffering I just wish I could have seen you One last time I would have played it all for you Hopes that it would bring a smile The time I sit down and focus it my own. I want the world to know that passion. And if I carry one memory, one piece of your soul, it would be the love of music that makes us whole. And you're the fighter. because that's the hardest thing you could do is to stand up there and be so vulnerable. So thank you so much. You want to see the CD or the DVD or whatever? It's Love is the slideshow, yeah. Remembering Mike, we're going to see that now. Where do you go from there? We're going to sing a song, Amazing Grace. And uh, we're just going to have a few thoughts before we end about the God to whom we're entrusting Mike and giving thanks. So it's Amazing Grace, a new version, or part of a new version. Just stand and share it with us.
and it's called an open universe. And that if there is a God, that God actually speaks into this world and helps us make sense of things that we can't make sense of normally. It's called revelation. It's called believing in something bigger than ourselves so that a lot of what I see and experience I'm helped to understand because I can't understand it. And we're here today because we're also saying thank you to a God who has given us revelation of a love that we could not get to from here. There are too many obstacles. There's too much suffering. There's too much evil. And next, next month we're going to be celebrating Christmas, some of us, maybe, where God broke into this world and said this world is not all there is. And he knew that people in this world couldn't make sense of the world. And so as a loving father, because that's what he revealed himself, he came into the suffering. He, he came into a world that was like ISIS, Roman, Roman rule, brutal, and ended up going on a cross to say everything that's caused us separation, I will forgive and make way for something new. And so the revelation of God was given in this person, Jesus, historically. It's not rubbing a lamp and saying, I hope. And if you push through the veil and you push through with Mike and with Louise, you will find that faith underneath. That there's someone greater than them who helps them and us make sense of terrible times. And I wanted to give that context because Jesus was, you know, Jesus and Christianity is not sort of a happy, clappy, let's, let's pretend everything's good. It's God, a God who says life is going to be hell at times but I will be with you. And so Jesus said to his disciples, as he was preparing them for his death, which was going to be younger than Mike's, it was 33 years old, killed for no reason really whatsoever. And he said this to them, he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in me, God believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on you do know him and have seen him. I, I sat with Mike on the porch. It was a lovely summer's day. We're alone and I spent quite a lot of time, I guess, with the family and Mike in these last two months alone. And that's when he cried because he didn't want to leave his family, obviously. And he said, why me? But it didn't last long because he looked around and he was trying to remember everything. And he said, I'm going to remember all this. And I said, no, you're not. He said, why? He said, well, imagine if you came from a background of suffering. You wouldn't want to remember and you're not going to need to. And I said, I don't know, Mike, why this is like it is. But I do know that if Jesus was standing here and sitting with us on this porch, it would make sense to us. It's a bit like the more you know of God's character, the more you can trust him with the mystery. Because I spend quite a lot of my life with people who are suffering. It's a bit like if I just, bear with me here, if I asked Louise and the girls to come up here and then I berated them for letting Mike die, you'd, you'd walk out. You'd probably kill me. You should that the reason you would get so angry would be because you were, you've just seen an expression of love. And what it, Mike and I talked about was, you know, as much as you love Louise, flip it around, that's how much Jesus loves you. 
And they're just some things that are mysteries. We know we're going to die. Some of us are going to die younger than others. And life isn't fair. We talked about that too. It's not fair that we live in Canada and there's no gunshots outside. It's not fair that we can meet like this. There's lots of mystery. But Mike, you know, he, 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 he knew Jesus and he knew his love. And so that was what was so easy to access as he began to recognize. Because a man who's as optimistic and upbeat as Michael, facing no hope, was hell. Like this is the end. But he, he absorbed it. And he cried. And, he, and we talked about going to a better place. But it's sort of no real comfort, but it's some comfort. He said, you know, the music you have now, you know what heaven's like? And the story of the prodigal son, which is on here, on the wall here, Jesus told the story of the father who went out to, he had, he had already welcomed his prodigal son who had totally screwed up and came home, thought he was going to get to hell, and he didn't, he got heaven. And then the older brother was bitter and twisted because he got in the back door, as it were, and he said, well, why should he get it? He should deserve punishment. And the older brother was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. That is heaven. Music and dancing. We've got guitars here. And apparently, how many has he got? He's got lots of them, right? And this is his favorite guitar. It's a Gibson. Do you say Les Paul or Les Paul? Or Les? I'm just checking because I'm not that smart. It's heavy. But this is the one he rocked with, I guess, right? And it's quite expensive, I believe. We actually locked it up last night. We thought we better not actually leave it out here because I've actually lost two guitars. It was the other side of town. But I did. I lost a, a, a guild guitar and a, um, I didn't lose it, actually. Somebody came in and stole it. One was a guild and one was a black. It was just a cheap Ibanez, not in this class. And then there's this guitar, which was being made while Mike was really um, beginning to fade. I'm not going to play it because I can't. Uh, I mean, I could strum it, but I'm just going to pose. And this one, that's quite cool, actually. <laughs> I reincarnate Mike. Um, this one, the wood came from Salt Spring, correct? And then it went to Hornby to be cut. Oh, it was cut at Salt Spring and then it went to Hornby or didn't go to Hornby for anything. <laughs> it's, it's going to Hornby. Hornby's going to see it. Anyway, it, it, the point is that this, the wood came from Salt Spring and, I, and it was cut there. And then other members of the family, and I think Blaine Ronning worked on this to, to complete it. And Peter did a lot of work, his son-in-law. Um, it's tough to sort of find out that your husband got married because of your father, and it's not. I mean, that, that, you know, that's not good. That's uh, <laughs> Peter. That's not true, is it? No, good. Just wanted to clear that up. Yeah. Um, and so, why am I doing this? Because um, these guitars, you know, imagine if they got lost, somebody stole them, and they and they, and they ended up in England, let's say London, and uh, and they we're in a second-hand store and somebody came in and, and found them and said, oh, it's a Les Paul and it's this bit of junk, whatever it is. They would have no knowledge of it. Things become more precious when you know their story, particularly when things are handmade. And you go, this was the last guitar that uh, Mike probably held and he couldn't really play it because his fingers weren't working, but he loved to see it and could feel it probably in his head and heart. When God, and, and imagine if... if, if if Mike went to London and these had been stolen and he saw them and he went in and with that big smile said, hey, where do you get those? And he said, that's mine. I played that one and this one that was made on Salt Spring and it was made by my son-in-law. I'm trying to share something about God. 
A guitar is made to be held close to a warm body with hands on it. It still doesn't make music. The music has to come from the ones playing it. And what we've shared today is how it looked for one man through whom God's love flowed in a beautiful way. The music was beautiful. There's loud music, soft music, all kinds of music that touched people. And the things that we are here for, the reasons why we're weeping, is because there's something about Mike and his ability to love that touches us and we're going to miss. And I think, it's buzzing, if I got a text from Mike, <laughs> oh, I've got one from Louise. <laughs> Hi, Louise. She sent me a text last week with kisses on the end. I said, oh, sorry for the kisses. I said, that's cool, bring them on. <laughs> anyway, if I got a text from Mike right now, he would say, I think, I like the tie-dye. Um, I'm having the greatest fun. I can't wait for you to get here. Get on the bus. See, a guitar, a guitar is meant to be played. And all I'm wanting to say is that when God said um, Jesus was coming back to take us to be with him, he came and met with Mike a long time ago. Because you see, heaven begins on earth. And it begins way before you die. And he knew what it was like to be held by Jesus, to be loved by Jesus, to be forgiven by Jesus. It wasn't just religion. It was relationship. And out of that relationship, in fact, his music began to flow. And I think what Mike would ask me to do now would be to say to you, no, don't just grieve for me. Let the one who loved me love you. You see, God comes to each person here right now and he, he, he looks at you like this guitar. He says, you're handmade. You know what went into your life? You know what went into who you are? You're not meant to hang on a wall. You're not meant to be in a case. You're meant to be close to my side. And the music that I can do and play through you would astound you. And God's love starts here now. So every good thing we saw in Mike is still available in Jesus and in our relationships. And so I want to encourage us to allow God to draw close and to allow him to heal some of the wounds and allow him to fill some of the spaces that Michael left because Michael's just a man. But the heart of God is able to touch everyone. There are people here. I know God wants to heal people here today. You see, there's mystery. You can pray for one person and they don't get better and you pray for somebody else and they, and they get better. You are handmade. He wants to say to every single person here, I know you, I love you, I'm good. I care about you. I'm here to comfort you. I'm here to, to remind you that there's more to life than you. Could be a problem for some egos, but for most of us that would be good. I'm here to, to lead you on. What, how would it be? Uh, for you know, Remember as, as Mike saw that boat and said, hey, the music, count me in, and, and, and ended in another relationship with God. How would it be for at this time, this Thanksgiving of his celebration, some of us actually connect with God in a way that brings us life for the rest of our lives? That's all I want to say. But there are people here that feel that you're not good enough. You see, God speaks and he's alive and we're going to say thank you to him for Michael and entrust him to, to God. But God's alive here. There's some, I, I have to say this, there's some who struggle with guilt over things like abortion and you think God's disqualified you and he just says, I haven't. There are others who have had bad experiences and God would just remind you that um, he's nicer than Mike, believe it or not. He's kinder, he's better and he never dies. 
And that's the person who I had the privilege of sharing and walking alongside with Mike as he basically faced his death. We anointed him with oil. He smiled. He cried. But at the end of the day, he said, you know, Mike, you're going to be playing some music that's going to be amazing. There would be a smile because there's hope. And the hope is in this person, Jesus, who lived and died and rose again. And that's who we uh, depend upon. Here's a song that Mike wrote as we close that I thought would be a cool testimony on his 8-track 20 years ago. But he knew we were going to do this. Ken Hunter, some of you know.
time to move on from this world, we won't be going without him. Let's pray together. Father, we just want to thank you so much for Mike. We thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for the gift of family and friends and music. And thank you for what we saw of you, but what we just experienced with Mike of, of love and laughter, of joy, so many aspects. We just give you a minute and just say thank you in your own way, in your own quietness for your relationship with Mike. Thank you that you have broken the back of death and thank you that death is not the end of the story. And so we want to just release Mike to you and ask that every memory we have that is good, every um, encounter we had with him that brought us to life will not be lost but will be staying with us. And Father, we pray at this time for your healing and your comfort over the family, over Mike's mother and father, over Louise, over Larissa, Brianna, Diana, Peter, and the extended family, Neil, Heather. Father, will you just embrace them with the embrace that is only you, you, the one that only you can give, that will hold them in these days and months ahead when the dust has settled and they've got to get on with their lives and, and Mike's not there. And for all of us, we ask that, Father, you will open us more and more to your love, to your presence. I just speak healing to anyone who is sick here right now, to anyone who has cancer, anyone who has pain, anyone who is struggling in any capacity. I speak the healing of Jesus over you. And in the power of Jesus, and the authority I have in Jesus, I speak healing over you, comfort and love presence of the living God. Give rest, O Christ, to your servant with your saints where sorrow and pain are no more and neither sighing but life everlasting. Into your hands, O most merciful Saviour, we commend your servant Mike. Acknowledge, we pray, a sheep of your own fold, a lamb of your own flock, a sinner of your own redeeming. Receive him into the arms of your mercy, into the blessed rest of everlasting peace, and into the glorious company of the saints in light. Amen. We're going to have a private committal tomorrow. Um, let's end the service with a, a song of joy. It's called Dancing in Heaven's Doorway. And then I've just got an announcement after that as we go to the reception. So will you stand and, and share with us and receive the, the reality of heaven is here and heaven is there. Heaven's doorway we're living In the light of the Lord we are of King of kings we're running free in the promised land Oh yeah We're running free in the promised land It's a humble voice God adores The Father's heart with love love pours Lowest valleys the river flows Jesus heals along his shore. We are dancing, heaven's doorway with heaven. In the light of the Lord, we are as The King of kings, we're running free in the promised land. We're running free in the promised land. Bringing hope and joy to the lost and found.